No credentials. Reviewing Rolling Stone 500. Greatest album. Welcome back, everyone, to the Sound Logic Podcast. And today we are discussing album number 53 on Rolling Stone's 500 list. This is Meet the Beatles by the Beatles. As we sometimes do, we have a special guest here with us as we record. I want to introduce uh, Ron Rosen. Ron is someone that I met uh, similar to uh, a guest from a few episodes back when Ann Erdman was on the show with us. Um, Ron was part of that Pasadena blogging community. I don't know, maybe still is part of that uh, Pasadena blogging community that I was a part of for the four years that we lived in Southern California. Um, I knew Ron as Mr. Earl. That was his sort of handle in the blogger world. And uh, it wasn't until probably a few years after we'd sort of met in that space that we became Facebook friends that I discovered his real name is Ron. Um, uh, I don't know, Ron, that we've ever actually met face-to-face, maybe once or twice at like a blogger picnic get-together, but but really not frequently. Most of our relationship was commenting back and forth on, on different posts. And uh, yeah, did we meet? I think we met at the um, tour that Anne gave at City Hall. Oh, you're right. You're right. Um, Anne, uh, as you know, was on a, an earlier episode, and um, she she mentioned uh, she mentioned how much fun she'd had, and, and Ron caught her post about being on the show and, and reached out and said, hey, I'd love to be on sometime, too. We did a quick scan of the next albums coming up and uh, realized that he's got just as much uh, passion for the Beatles as Ann did, and so we're excited to have him here tonight. Ron, we often ask our guests, um, how do you introduce yourself to the world if, if someone says, hi, nice to meet you? Well, I was an IRS tax litigation attorney for, um, for 33 years, and but I always considered it my day job. Um, I love music, I play a little bass, and I've been swing dancing for 30 years. Oh, wow. So I, I'm, anything to do with music or rhythm, that's where I'm at. And uh, I love the Beatles. There's a local Beatle band here in Pasadena that plays at the Barclays sometimes. And one night, a bunch of swing dance friends and I went, we were dancing to all these early Beatles songs, and it was so much fun. <laughs> that sounds awesome. great. Yeah. Have you always lived in Southern California? No, actually, I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area, and I was lucky enough to be 18 years old in 1966, which means that I was there when the Jefferson Airplane and the Grateful Dead and the Youngbloods and all those bands were just starting up, (laughs) and I got to see them all, and... uh, it was like I'm so, you know. Um, whenever I saw a kid in a, at a restaurant one time recently, and he had a Doors sweatshirt on, and I went up to him and I said, "Do you like the Doors?" He says, "Yeah." I said, "I saw them in 1967 at the Fillmore." I said, "I may be old, but I saw the great bands." <laughs> wow! Yeah, we're a little jealous. <laughs> we've we've talked a couple of times about uh, you know. 
the ideal time to grow up with music and uh the late 60s early 70s certainly was a prime time to to see some of those classic uh bands we're talking tonight about uh, a record called meet the beatles as mike already mentioned um before we get too far into this we should point out that that this is one of those tricky things, uh, as we mentioned in the episode with Anne, actually, that the Beatles in their early years had albums being released in the UK and then uh, also released in the United States, but in a slightly different arrangement and slightly different titles, slightly different order. And so um, this album, Meet the Beatles, is the uh, debut album, so to speak, for here in the United States, even though it's not their debut album, that was what we talked about with Anne, <laughs> and um, and we'll go through some of those differences and 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 nuances as we go through our journey here. Uh, Ron, I'm curious if you can take us back to a time um, when the Beatles were brand new for you. Uh, was this the album that introduced you to the band, or um, what does your origin story look like for this iconic Fab Four group? Okay, so first of all. In order to place this whole thing, you have to realize that President Kennedy was assassinated on November 22nd of uh, 63. And that really shattered a lot of people. You know, I mean, it, I mean, I never sobbed before until that. I was 15 years old. So we get into 1964. It's, we're still in high school. It's the same school year. And one night in early January, my sister comes running into my room and she said, Ronnie, you have to come on. Look at TV. There's these crazy guys. There are these weird guys on TV called the Beatles. <laughs> and so I run in there and, you know, I expect I expected to see these insect guys with long antennas coming out of their heads <laughs> or something like, you know, I didn't know what to expect. It was on the Jack Parr show, and he aired that on January 3rd of 1964. His daughter had been living in London, and she had found the Beatles and told her dad, you got to check these guys out. And he had either gone over and seen them, or she brought a film clip or something. Anyway, so that was my first introduction, and I didn't think much about it. But over the next month leading up to when they appeared on Ed Sullivan, um, there was a lot of buzz about them. And, you know, they, we knew that the records were going to start coming out on the radio. And um, I believe in late January sometime, you know how the radio stations, they used to always, uh, they would preview, they would say, you know, next week, KYA is going to have an exclusive of the brand new Beatles single. <laughs> so they would hype these things up. So I knew that the Beatles single... I knew they were coming out on a certain day, and my I, I think after school one day, my mom and I went to the mall, but the Beatles were coming on the radio that afternoon. She went to, into shop, and I said, well, I'm not going in. I'm going to listen to the radio. So I sat in the car waiting for the, the sound to come on, and I heard their song. It was There were two songs on the radio, I think, at that time, I Want to Hold Your Hand and She Loves You, and... I could tell immediately when I heard them that they were the Beatles because they were just different. And I was just like amazed, you know, wow, this is a cool new sound. So, I, I mean, I'll never forget sitting in that car. You know, the same way I, I remember when I sat in a car listening to 
Uh, the Giants game when Willie Mays hit four home runs. <laughs> you know, you just never forget those things. Oh, what a story. That story is so different than Mike and I, who, um, you know, obviously we're, we're born uh, well after their sort of peak popularity. And so we've experienced them as uh, a part of history, a part of pop culture history that, uh, you know, we get introduced to in sort of uh, kind of passive ways, you know, either mixed in with other media that we're consuming or because of family member friend or um, someone like that puts a song on for us and uh, it's quite different than being alive in the moment where they kind of break into the pop culture world and uh, I think that's just so powerful that that story yeah it, it was really amazing so then at that time they're starting to play their singles on the radio and then they're going to be on Ed Sullivan on February 9th and I think most, I mean, it was one of the highest radio or TV shows probably ever when they appeared that night. And I'm sure you've seen videos of it with all those girls screaming and, but it was amazing to just watch it. I mean, it was, you know, it was just something, it's hard to explain. I mean, I, I wasn't like those crazy little girls screaming and crying, but there was something incredible going on. What made them different or unique uh, compared to what else you were hearing on the radio? Like what, what for you uh, made them, like you say, stand out when you first heard them? Well, I mean, their sound was different. And, you know, it's, it's hard to imagine with you guys coming later and you get the benefit of all the people that they influenced yeah. between when you first heard them and because when, you know, they, they they changed the world of music. So all the music that you guys are probably totally into and love was probably the result of what they were doing back then. And back then, you know, we had the, I think the Four Seasons were really popular and um, the Beach Boys, you know, the music was, you know, I liked the music on the, top, you know, top 40, but there was something different and magical about them. It, it was it was hard to explain. It was just, you know, when you watch them and the way they shook their heads and the, and the, they just looked like they were having, they were living life to the fullest. Mm -hmm. um, it's, you know, I, I've thought about these things a lot and the Beatles actually had a profound effect on my personal growth because they kind of gave me a sense that you could do what you wanted in life. You didn't have to be held back because that's kind of, these guys were just going all the way out there and um, loving every minute of what they were doing. So they were just an inspiration. And I think that's why all those girls were crying because they were like exuding this energy that nobody had ever experienced before. <laughs> Wow. At the time, our parents said, well, they did that for Frank Sinatra, too. And I don't know, because I wasn't there for Frank Sinatra when he was young, but they, I guess he had a big following of screaming young ladies. But um, it couldn't have been quite like the Beatles. <laughs> no. no, I wouldn't think so. Well, he didn't have the advantage of all the communication and everything. No, of course not. We could probably keep pelting you with questions here all night long, Ron. But uh, do you want to do you want to dive into some details here, Mike, as we get rolling, or uh, do you have a few more questions yeah. to ask of him? Or 
Well, I'll weave in some details. Details, 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 details. And we can keep going because I think, uh, I, I don't know what to say. I, th- I, I agree with you. We could just keep, <laughs> just just do a straight up interview and interview Ron on all his uh, experiences and, and memories of the Beatles. But just to give a little more context, we will do some details on the album and then continue. So as we discussed, this this album was officially released January 20th. So right around the time you were talking about there, Ron, when those singles came out in early January in 1964. Um and this was a lot of the songs that were contained on the UK release with the Beatles. And they took a lot of those songs, put some of them on Meet the Beatles. And then the next one they released in the US was called The Beatles' Second Album. And that those two albums contained most of the songs that were on the UK release with the Beatles. So that... I always get confused in those early Beatles albums and the U S and the UK. But after this, we get into a hard day's night and then everything seems to (laughs) line up. Um, But again, these are all written by Lennon McCartney, except for uh, don't bother me by George Harrison and uh, till there was you, which is by Meredith Wilson. um, And he wrote from the play, the music man, and he wrote the music man, but everything else is, uh, John and Paul, and it charted, went to number one in the U.S., and to date has sold five times platinum in the U.S., so that's five million. Interesting to note here, uh, Mike, uh, I was just yep. going to say that the actual debut album that came out in the U.K. has uh, gone gold in the United States. Now, it, was, it wasn't released here until, I think, the 90s on CD, Um that's but, right. Please, that's you know, please, sort of please in, me, right? Please, please me, uh, you know, has also done quite well here. Uh, we just love to buy uh, Beatles albums. <laughs> of course. Why, why? Well, it's like Ron saying, well, you saw the introducing the Beatles and whether it's not, uh, authentic or not, or it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's just yeah, great to right. have their music. <laughs> yeah. Um, Yeah, uh, and then the last nine tracks on this album are from, as I mentioned, the With the Beatles album, uh, which is also was on the original edition of the Rolling Stone 500 list in 2003. Uh, We'll touch on that again a little later. Yeah, um, I just today I just did some research about the cover because I always thought that this cover was taken. There was a woman in Germany that was um, a friend of the Beatles, and uh, her name was Astrid. I forget her last name. But I always assumed that this photo was by her, but it wasn't, because she took a lot of photos by the, of them. But this, guy, this photo is by a guy named Robert Freeman, who was a photographer with major newspapers in England. And then he, he took the, first, the photos for the first few Beatle albums, and um, this this cover with their light shining on just their heads from one side with Ringo on the bottom. Yeah. And there's always a story that isn't what it seems. He said the, re- the reason they were all clumped together is he had to get it so that they could all be on one album cover. <laughs> and he stuck Ringo in at the bottom because he was the shortest. He was the newest one in the group. <laughs> 
And then Paul explains that the photo was taken in the hallway of a hotel, and there it was a dark hallway, and there was light coming in from the end of the hall that created this effect. So it wasn't any kind of artsy setup or anything. <laughs> it was just a coincidence. He said, Paul said they, they, they just shot for about an hour, and this is what came out. And then... At first, um, they thought about releasing it without their name on the um, album, but then they decided, well, they weren't that well known yet, so they needed to put their name on the album. <laughs> but another thing, the record company did not want to release this album, be this, this photo, because none of them are smiling. Oh. And apparently George Martin interceded and he convinced them that he convinced them that this was good and they they should release it that way. So George Martin got them to do it. But I had never known this story. It's 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 amazing. No no one cared that they weren't smiling. That was probably what was great about it. Right, right. It's such an interesting photo and uh, an iconic one now. It just makes for a great album cover. The uh the switch from uh, you know, the UK release with the Beatles uh, to adding the blue tint for Meet the Beatles seems like an interesting yeah. choice. And I, I'm curious if any of you uh, dug into why that is. Makes them all look a little bit more alien-like. You know, if it was just black and white, I think it'd be kind of artistic. The blue is, a, a, I don't know, maybe like they're cold or something like that. It's a, an interesting choice for for the debut. And I'm flipping back and forth between the Meet the Beatles and With the Beatles cover and the Meet the Beatles. John Lennon is almost slightly smiling, like a Mona Lisa smile, <laughs> as opposed to the uh, black and white With the Beatles cover where they're all looking pretty stark. But I like that little touch of the blue uh, kind of filter there. And it kind of matches because at the top, Meet the, the letters or the words Meet the are in a blue tone yes. so maybe it's yeah. just an artistic <laughs> choice there to to match that kind of interesting so is it a different photo on the with the beatles it, it looks like it does it look like i think a it's a different shot? shot obviously the same sh photo shoot but their faces you you can tell right it, it's probably just a different shot very very similar like almost identical but their expressions are just so slightly different, but the staging, the spacing, every, the lighting, everything else is the same. And of course, that one's just straight black and white, whereas this U.S. release has got that very light blue filter on it. I, I would have said that they are the same the same images. Yeah, that's maybe interesting. Not, they are slightly different. Well, I'm just flipping back and forth. The, the contrast may be a little uh, different, too. Um, it's well, maybe you're right. Maybe it is just the, the contrast that maybe it is exactly the same shot. But John looks a little different. I don't know. His expression <laughs> looks different. But maybe maybe it is the shading on his face. Anyways, um, yeah. <laughs> a, a quick bit of trivia. We we talked Ben about the the Ramones uh, debut album, and. They, the intention was to do the cover just like this. And they actually took, they had a photo shoot where they took a bunch of pictures, but uh, they didn't turn out well. And they decided to go with that iconic leaning against the wall look on the Ramones. But the Ramones, uh, it would have been interesting if the Ramones' first album was 
the cover shot was a was a, a straight lift <laughs> of this, but they, they they had planned to do it, which is pretty interesting. I wonder if anyone That's else has done it. that. I don't know. It's a pretty pretty ballsy move to <laughs> to to There's cover that. There's got to be some, some parody albums out there that have. It wouldn't surprise me if there's like a Muppets sing the Beatles or something like that. that yeah, uh, right. <laughs> I, I don't know. I remember when I brought bought this uh, and brought it home, um, I remember reading the back and I was very interested because I really didn't know how old they were. And, you know, the picture on the back, which I which looks like it's. Um, it, that's kind of a nice little picture of them in, in their little suits. Right. Um, but I, I thought that, you know, there's a, the whole little story about who they are and how old they are and everything. I mean, I, I remember what, what John and Wingo are really old. They're 23. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, I'm just looking at that now. And we've talked about that before, Ben, that we often forget about the back cover and usually, or many times our guest is someone who owns it and says, Oh, Hey, and, and it's really cool on the back. And we go, Oh yeah. Cause we're yeah. just looking at a thumbnail on Google of the front. And then it's like, that was the thing of hold, holding the vinyl. You had a f- huge print on the front, something on the back, something on the inside. Uh, I just love the, the format of it. That's <laughs> cool. That it's got like a summary of their, like a little bio on the back. That's so interesting. We don't, you don't really have that at all anymore. You don't like have a, you know, Justin Bieber has his biography on the back of the, the CD case or something. Like you just don't see that kind of thing anymore. I was in an antique store one day and there was a, a bin of old albums that I was looking through. And there was a kid about maybe eight years old looking through them also. And at some point he looks at me and he says, what are these things? <laughs> and I said, I said, it's music. Do you, ha-, you know, like a CD only it, it's records. They play music. I said, does your family have a turntable or anything? And he said, I think my father has one in the basement. And he said, um, I thought these were just pictures. Oh, oh no. Oh. <laughs> Well, Ron, I'm trying to uh, to do my part and educate my kids uh, on what on what vinyl is. <laughs> but I know my nephew got very into the Beatles, um, probably because of my sister, and it's it's amazing, you know, to see the these younger generations. I mean, you know, when the Beatles came out, they were criticized. You know, like all rock and roll in those days, everyone said this won't last. And, um, you know, if anyone would have told us that we'd be talking about this 50, 56 years later, mm-hmm. they would have been laughed right. at. I mean, it's just phenomenal. Uh, I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. It's not like any other, I mean, there's other big bands, but it's, Ben and I recently had a conversation and I said, I don't think we're ever going to have a time in our lifetime, even where we see this music fade from, from relevancy or from pop culture. Ben, you seem to disagree with me a little bit, but it just seems to keep 
carrying on and on. And even my, I was playing this today and my son was singing along. He's 10 years old and it might be because I've listened to it before, but uh, it was, um, it was, I want to hold your hand. And and he was singing along and I, I was thinking like, is he just singing along because he likes it or does he know it? I think he's heard it. Maybe it's from me, but still for him to, I've, there's lots of other music I listen to and my kids are not interested at all. Um, but the Beatles, they they love they love the Beatles. They love to sing yeah. along to the Beatles. Well, they were timeless, I guess, in a way. And all you know, he, he, and rock and roll has become timeless. And you know, now as a swing dancer, I listen to a lot of stuff from the '40s, mm. and a lot of stuff is being brought back. Um, you know, I think my generation appreciates a lot of older stuff, and. Um, but a lot of times I try to re- figure, I try to think about what it was like when my parents were young and they were listening to the big bands and it, maybe Glenn Miller or, or Benny Goodman came down once in a while. It's hard to even picture how that was, but I have a, a little sense of that. And the Beatles opened me up. I was, I was a, a trumpet player at the time in high school and um, I was, you know, we played band music and I was studying classical trumpet. But the Beatles kind of opened me up to all music. Um, They made me understand that all music in a way was really the same. And um, it was pretty amazing, eye-opening thing. I love that. Well, what about um, as we get in, do you want to go over the track listing here, Mike? Yeah, I'll let me list the tracks real quick, because um, that's something we, we insert into each episode. Um, and yeah, and then I want to keep talking about this great music. Uh, so uh, 12 tracks, six on each side, pretty simple, about 13, 13 and a half minutes per side. So uh, very short. We've talked about a lot of albums, Ben, that are 45 minutes, uh, even an hour this just coming in at about 25, 26 minutes, so a very short album in total. Uh, side one starts with, I want to hold your hand. I saw her standing there. This boy... It won't be long. All I've got to do. All my loving. And side two starts with Don't Bother Me. Little Child. Little Child. 
Till There Was You. Hold Me Tight. I want to be your man. And the album closes out with not a second time. We're just over 20, 26 minutes, huh? Yeah. My, we were listening to this today, and my wife says, Oh, Till There Was You. That's from The Music Man. Because <laughs> we, we watched a lot, of, a lot of musicals in our house. And I went, Oh, yeah, I didn't even pick up on that at first. <laughs> it's interesting that, they, that, that that's the only one on this album that they didn't write because on please please me i think about half of them were originals and the other half were written by other people or covers that they had picked up but this one right uh, they're getting they're really coming into their own and that was the only that was the only one that they pulled from someone else so kind of interesting there My understanding is that all these songs were kind of all recorded at the same time. And so they were just choices of putting them on what albums. Okay. They weren't really, you know, they might have, re- you know, they might have recorded A Taste of Honey and uh, the, that Shirelle song, Baby It's You. Yeah. Uh, it was all sort of a bunch of stuff that they that they had waiting to be released. Okay. I was curious about who made the decision about what songs to put on what albums and in what order. And I found a thing that George Martin had a formula. And here's the formula. You put the best song number one. And you put all the best songs on side one. And you put the second best song as the last song on side one. So people want to listen to side two. And then you put another good song at the beginning of two. And that was a formula that apparently George Martin went by. Oh, wow. At some point, the Beatles controlled all those decisions. But early on, he was making those calls. Wow. But of course, I, I don't like to rate any of these songs as being better. Better, You know, I think they're all great. So, But I see what they were doing. Well, I think you can hear, I, I mean, history tells the, the story. We don't have to, but you can hear that I Want to Hold Your Hand just has something special to it. Obviously, it's something that uh, the public grabbed onto, and I think we can understand why. There's just something, to me, there's something special about that one. It stand out to me. Um, it grabs you. It's, as you talked about, Ron, so different than anything else that was on the radio at the time. Uh, that comes on the radio in 19... 19- 63 64 and it's like wham you know just out of nowhere i could definitely see why they would put that at the top yeah and i saw her standing there is also a great song and all my loving is just an incredibly great melodic song that people love so that's kind of a special one to me because uh, my wife and i uh, have performed that one. We occasionally will perform at a there's a little coffee house or or at church functions in the past we performed, but uh, we had to we were asked to perform some songs together for a fundraiser that a friend was doing, and we decided to do all my loving. And uh, I sang 
melody and she sang harmony through the whole thing and did that together so that's when i hear that on the radio or when i have that on it's kind of special because that was one that we really enjoyed doing together and it it is a a really nice melody um and just flows along very nicely yeah for sure i i was curious is this the first time that we've had the exact same recording of a song show up twice on this list i want to hold your hand also uh appears on the the i saw her standing was it i saw her standing there oh i saw her standing there i think that's it okay uh i had those songs mixed up but um yeah, so yeah. so we've got essentially the exact same studio recording on two different albums uh, here in the top 53 albums of all time. <laughs> I think that's the first time that's happened. I, I don't know if it's the only time it'll happen. It might be, but yeah, that be... Well, and I think this is a unique scenario where you have the same music being released in different countries one at a time like that didn't i i'm not saying it didn't ever happen because i know it did happen but uh for it to be popular and not really synchronized in different countries yeah i think this is the only time this happens on the rolling stone 500 list pretty interesting yeah that's very interesting you know don't bother me is a kind of a quirky song but it's one of my favorites on this record and it's a george george always wrote these quirky little things that if there was some reason that there was something unique and really good about his songs and I don't know I don't I don't know what do you guys think of Don't Bother Me because I doubt many people that are just casual fans even know about it <laughs> yeah probably not I, uh, Mike and I both have a soft spot for any George tracks it seems I love uh, yeah, George I, Harrison I, tracks. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I like that one. It's uh, it, it's good. They, these all sound. It's interesting, Ron, to hear you say that um, these early albums, most of the tracks were were done in similar recording times, uh, because I have a very similar vibe with this album than uh, that I did with Please Please Me, and um, yeah, it all feels like a part of the same soup. <laughs> and and like they all belong together in a, in a moment in time uh, even the ones that are a little quirkier uh, they just all go together pretty well uh, I Want to Be Your Man they also gave that to the Rolling Stones who did a, a version of it Okay. I don't know if you've ever heard it but it's on one of their early albums okay I'll have to go uh, pull up Spotify and see how that sounds <laughs> uh, I kind of like the Rolling Stones version found it (laughs) (laughs) you're listening to it (laughs) I was thinking earlier please please me was recorded Mm -hmm. I think famously recorded like in one day it was like eight nine hours in the studio Uh, are we could we assume then that they recorded not only the stuff for please please me but then a lot of a lot of these tunes as well or tunes that at least appear on with the beatles their uk release i don't know the history right um i'm sure there are people that you know all this stuff has been written all of this stuff has been written about endlessly 
but I haven't, I haven't read about it. Um, yeah. So if you, if people were really curious, they could look, you know, which sessions, which songs were recorded and yeah, what they had to pick from when they started releasing in the U S um, till there was you, you know, Paul just liked the song and he liked the Peggy Lee version, okay. which I was listening to earlier today. And, and one of the things about the Beatles was they, they threw things in that you wouldn't expect. I mean, the take the taste of honey, that, that was really a strange thing for them to record. Yeah, very different. But it was almost like, um, they were, they were, they were setting new rules. They were making new rules. And so they had, they kind of, they had come out with these great songs and, and they had such credibility. And then they would throw something like Till There Was You in there. And, and it was kind of jarring at first, like, what's that doing there? But it's like, okay, if you're doing it, we're into it. We're going to do it. We're going to be into it. We're going to like it. And, you know, it, 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 they became what very eclectic. I mean, they just, you couldn't put them in a, in a box. Yeah, and one thing that I thought when I listened to this and compared it in my mind to Please Please Me, those songs sounded a little disjointed, especially some of the covers and Taste of Honey is a good is a good example. Uh, it sounded a bit like a hodgepodge of, of songs kind of put together. On this album, and then um, with the Beatles as well, they really seem to be focusing their sound and honing in on something that's very specific um, and something that's really unique to just the Beatles, of course. I think the fact that these are all originals really adds to that, but um, they really seem to be on the trajectory of what makes up that classic Beatles sound, whereas uh, Please Please Me still felt like it didn't really feel like them yet to me when I listened to that. It It was really good and I liked it, but this is much more okay. They're on a very clear uh, path and sound and really fine-tuning their sound here and i liked that about this album yeah ron tell us uh, we know that you've actually had the opportunity right. to see this band what was that experience like they came to san francisco in 1964 and 1965 and although i liked them and i loved their music i had no interest in going because i just thought it would be a bunch of screaming girls and you wouldn't be able to hear and um I had no interest in going, but by 66, um, they'd already come out with Rubber Soul and Revolver was co- had just come out and they were going to be playing at Candlestick Park and it was like, we got to go see these guys. And there was a lot of talk about how are they going to be able to play this stuff live because their newer stuff had all kinds yeah. of stuff on it, a lot of special effects and instruments that... They couldn't possibly do um, in a concert, mm-hmm. so um, you know that I went and I bought a ticket for me myself and my friend. I went to a store in San Francisco, a famous poster shop, and the ticket was five dollars and fifty cents. <laughs> and um, it has their picture on it. You guys have seen. I've shown you the picture of. I have the ticket yeah. still. And um, and it was. It was exciting, and we went, 
in you're in Candlestick Park and they had several opening acts, including the Ronettes, which in in hindsight became a very classic band. I mean they were classic then, but we began to appreciate them a lot more later on. Um but there was an armored car sitting out in right field. And I kind of assumed that the Beatles were sitting in that armored car during all the opening acts. But I later learned that they were actually in the clubhouse and they came out the dugout. The armored car was to take them away at the end of the show. Mm. So anyway, they came on stage and they were wearing these green suits and, and they're without collars. And it was so exciting. And then, I mean, I'm almost going to get teary when I talk about this because I remember when Paul got on the stage and he just waved and it was like he was waving to me personally and I'm sure it was like that with everyone there I mean these guys had some kind of a, a gift of connecting I mean it was like I don't know it was just magical and then they played you know 11 I think 11 songs and I wrote down all the songs um, I probably wrote down uh, notes during the show and I wrote them down when I got home and um, you know you you could hear what they were doing and it was cool and they talked a little bit uh, I remember John when he introduced day tripper he said this song is about a naughty lady called day tripper <laughs> so that was interesting because people wondered what that song <laughs> and um, anyway but uh, there was I remember afterwards I wrote I wrote something about seeing it and I said you know watching them made me feel like I could do anything in the world and they just had some kind of energy and they were showing us that, they, you know, my, my take on them was if they can do something like this, then I can do something great too. And I think that they kind of inspired um, people that were my age you know, in a, a very incredible way. Wow. I have a question for you, Ron. At the time of that, and I don't know the history of it, at the time of that concert, did the public know that it was their last concert? Had the Beatles announced it, or did they even know yet? Or, or uh, was it just another concert that they were doing? From what I, they did not, we did not know. Um, from what I understand, it, it was not known, but from what I understand, they kind of knew that they were done. I think it was just, it, it was so tiring, and they had to be basically prisoners when they toured. Yeah. They were trapped in their hotel rooms and, uh, you know. Now, there, here's an interesting story. A friend of mine lives in Piedmont, California, which is, uh, it's near Oakland and it's a very fan, it's like the Beverly Hills of Oakland. Okay. And he lives next door to a house. And he said that back in 1964, the people that lived in that house had won a contest on the radio to come up with the best menu for a British dinner. And the prize was that the Beatles came to their house wow. for dinner. <laughs> and so my friend said, the Beatles were at the house next door to me. And 
that has raised so many questions. I, I, I asked my friend, to, you know, he said the girls, you know, they're, they're all grown up and they moved away. But I would love to know how how they kept that a secret. Yeah. Right. How they, um, they must have been sworn not to tell. How could they, they couldn't have told hardly any of their friends or did anybody know? And what were the Beatles like? I mean, these four young guys are coming into an American household consisting of a bunch of people older and then a couple teenagers. You know, I mean, what was that like? Were they awkward? Were they funny? I mean, I would love to, I would love to talk to those people. Yeah. I would sure. just love to know what that whole thing was like. Oh, man. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? That's crazy. <laughs> Other than stuff like that, they were trapped in their hotels, yeah. you know, when they toured. So they were they had had it pretty much. Now, you had mentioned, Ron, that they had just released uh, Revolver, and that's my favorite Beatles album. And you're right. There's a lot of really different stuff happening on that album. Did they play many songs from that album? Because there are a lot, that, you know, like Gotta Get You Into My Life and Eleanor Rigby and uh Yellow Submarine, there's a lot of songs that you could do live. Do you remember them playing many of those songs at that concert? I have the handwritten list, which I texted you guys yes. the other day. Okay. Oh, yeah, that's right. The first song was Rock and Roll Music, Long Toss Sally, <laughs> then Yesterday. Paperback Writer was probably one of the newer ones that they could do. Then they did Nowhere Man. And they did If I Needed Someone, a George song. They did I Want to Be Your Man, which is from Meet the Beatles. And She's a Woman, and which is a great song from, I think, Beatles 65. And I Feel Fine, another great song. And then they did Babies in Black. And they did Day Tripper. So they did not do any songs from either Rubber Soul or Revolver. Hmm. Huh. Because they really couldn't. Wow. I, you think they might have done something from Rubber Soul. That's weird. Yeah, they probably could have. You don't realize, maybe, how the sound sound in those days was way yeah. different. You know, today they could do right. it. You know, they didn't have... You know, sound was horrible um, back then. Hmm. Um, the first band, I went, I went to see the Birds in... Uh, in uh, I think sixty early sixty six, okay, and you couldn't even tell what songs they were. You could barely tell what songs they oh, were that's doing. Awful. That's that's how bad sound was in those days. <laughs> the only song you could tell was "Turn Turn Turn" because it has those um, unique unique guitar chops right. in "Turn Turn Turn." But other than that, you could oh, barely geez. tell. The first band I ever heard that sounded like their record was The Doors because they were a very simple band. They weren't, you know, they weren't doing a lot of complicated stuff on stage. And they sounded just like their record. Wow. But other than that, it was very hard for bands to get a very good sound. Huh. That's fascinating. So you had poor sound quality and people screaming. So would you say it was an enjoyable experience to be a part of it? Or were you just kind of wishing the whole time that uh, you were back home playing the record where you could actually understand what was going on. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I love being there. I mean, it was a phenomenon, yeah. you know, hearing all those people screaming and uh, and seeing them. I mean, there was nothing like seeing them and having them wave mm. to you. 
I mean, there was just something magical about it. Um, it's interesting, years later, people were telling me that they had a CD of the concert, a sound CD of the concert. And I said, well, I don't really want it. You know, I was there. You can't hear anything anyway. And finally, one guy, finally, he, he mailed me one. So I have it somewhere. But he said, I just can't stand that you were there and you don't have this CD. <laughs> so he sent me the CD. <laughs> it sounds like even in the moment, you sort of realized you were a part of something that was going to have historic significance. Is that true to say or fair to say that? I, w I wouldn't say that. I would just say it was magical. Mm -hmm. It was just... It was just an amazing experience. Historically, no. I mean, we didn't think the Beatles are going to be, you know, that we'd be talking about this, you know, <laughs> 56 years later. Yeah. That huh. is a crazy thing, really. Yeah, really that's is. wild. When I was a kid, 50 years ago was World War One, And it was like a million years ago. Hmm. Yeah. And to think that 50 years, when, you know, obviously when you get older time, you look at time differently, but it's strange. Huh. We've talked about other albums and bands uh, from even after this that have sort of disappeared. We talked about a band and since you're from the San Francisco area originally, Ron, you've probably heard of, and you're into music, you've heard of a band called Love. Uh, but when we listen to Forever Changes, Ben and I had never heard of the album before, and I've talked to people since and said, hey, you're a music fan. Have you heard of this band? And people are like, no, I haven't heard of them. Uh, and so we see that some bands just kind of disappear. And the Beatles, I mean, obviously they were tremendously successful, but the Beatles, they just keep 66 years later. We're still 64 years later. We're still talking about this. And uh, it's just incredible. Um Ron, we have a Spotify playlist for the Sound Logic podcast, and every time we review an album, we pick a couple tracks to go on that playlist. So, uh, given you've just listed your favorites, what two do you think we should put on that list? Well, I mean, if I did it, I would put it, it won't be long and don't bother me. Cool. If you're trying to make it more exemplary, you probably should put, uh, I want to hold your hand in all my loving. <laughs> No, we we're okay going obscure here. If you can call the anything by the Beatles obscure, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that. It won't be long. It don't bother me. And, and you're right, Ron. So many of these songs are really good. They're obviously the ones that are just kind of way out there in terms of popularity. But but there's really some great tracks that might not be as popular as others for sure. You know, I I I like to say that like. It's like on a Beatles album, you can't really pick a favorite. It's like a parent being asked to pick his favorite child. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At this time, we usually discuss whether we think the album is relevant or not. We've already talked about that and how it, it has influenced everything. And although it might not fit into every spot with youngsters today, certainly certainly is reflected in a lot of the music. I, I've, there's new music out by the strokes, and I can hear a lot of stuff uh, that I hear in some of this early Beatles too. Um, so we want to move into the question we ask every episode was this position sound logic. So this is ranked number 53 on the top 500. Um, 
And Ron, what do you think about that? And this question can be tricky if you're not as familiar with the top 500 list, but um, this is the 53rd best album of all times, according to Rolling Stone. What do you think about that? Do you think that makes sense? Well, I'm, I've seen the list. I've seen which Beatles songs are up on the list. And I'm really kind of, to me, lists are kind of a weird thing because, <laughs> you know, trying to rank 500 of anything is, is a pretty, it's a pretty strange thing, you know? Um, so, I mean, and, and I can't imagine all the discussions and the politics and God knows what that went into making this list. And, um, so, I mean, it seems fine to me. I guess it could also be right up there with at number 39 with uh, the uh, Please Please Me. They have a very similar vibe, don't yeah. they? Yeah. So, it's. I mean, the Beatles have, what, three out of the top five? I'm glad, you know, it's nice that the Beatles are recognized as how great they are. And, um, but as, for, you know, and I guess it's nice that it's 53. It's better than 190. yeah i feel that um having listened to this and then starting to learn more about just the impact that the beatles have had in america and how successful they were uh and the sales obviously the population is much larger in america than the uk but um I think Meet the Beatles was that first album that really launched their career in the U.S. Um, and when I listen to this, it sounds so much more uh, consistent in their sound than Please Please Me does. Please Please Me is very good, uh, but this really seems to hone it in as, as they're perfecting their craft. Uh, I would almost swap those two rankings. I see the significance of their first U.K. release, of course, but but I think this one just just kind of outdoes it a little bit. So I would I would actually swap them and put this in at 39. That, that makes sense to me. Yeah, it's a tough one for me. I, I think that um, both of them have such a significant cultural impact. Um, I don't think that this sound is something that I would say is the best of the Beatles. Um, maybe not even the best of this era of the Beatles, but it, it made such a huge difference um, you know, as we started talking at the beginning of this episode about, you know, even what an album is today. Um, I, I don't know. I guess I feel conflicted. I, in some ways, I almost feel like if if, if this list has more weight in uh, influence on rock and roll, then, then maybe it should be higher. Uh, just purely on sound alone, uh, this is maybe fine, or I could even bump it down a little bit Uh compared to some of their other stuff and, and other albums that are on this list. So, yeah, I don't know. It's an, it's an interesting album to debate uh, as far as a ranking on a list. And I like how you said that, Ron. Lists are silly. <laughs> I think the longer that we go with this, um, we realize that uh, that struggle is real. <laughs> yeah. I mean, can you imagine that that people would talk about every album on this list? Ridiculous. <laughs> preposterous <laughs> i know <laughs> there's a lot of uh you know um the rolling stone uh the guy jan winter uh from the rolling stone he he kind of has decided who gets into the rock and roll hall of fame for years and it, oh. it's kind of the same kind of a debate you know i i guess you'd have to to look at 
the criteria that they use when they made this list, you know, we I don't know that we really know what were the what were the judges told. Um, I was looking at their list of the top 500 songs. And uh, the top Beatles song is Day in the Life. And the number two Beatles song, according to Rolling Stone of all time, is I Want to Hold Your Hand. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Uh, we know there was a, they had over 200 people in the industry. These are musicians, famous artists, critics, producers, everybody, over 200 people voting. It was an open ballot. And uh, they were to rank their top 50 albums uh, with no limitations. And then they used that and assigned uh, numerical values to each ranking they gave. And then kind of it spat something out. I am skeptical that they took that uh, as numeric. I think they took that as a starting point and then kind of shuffled things around. But that's me being a little uh, a little skeptical there. Uh, but when you look <laughs> at it, it seems as though they've tweaked it a bit. Uh, and I don't think you just, uh, when you're a public, a publication that, you know, they spend so much money and they make a lot of money. I don't think you just leave that thing up to chance. I think you, you tweak it to, to be what you want it to be. So, and then on the, on the list, that was the first version. And on this version, uh, they didn't do another polling. They just uh, had some experts decide which other albums were there things they thought they missed on the first version or new albums that had come out between 2003 and 2012. And they just kind of added some in and took some out. So that was even more subjective uh, as if the whole thing isn't subjective anyways. But uh, yeah, it's uh, still a little enigmatic at times. Uh, and But it gives us a... Uh, it's a great conversation piece. It gives us a lot to talk about. Absolutely. Well, um, we've referenced this already, but they do have a few other albums on the top 500. Um, we've, we've gone over a couple already. Um, we like to list stuff that's been on. Uh, we like to list other times when artists show up on this list. So already we have tackled at number one, Sgt. Pepper's, Number three, Revolver. Number five, Rubber Soul. Number 10, uh, their self-titled White Album. Number 14 was Abbey Road. Number 39 was Please Please Me. And now here we are at 53 with Meet the Beatles. Coming up uh, in a few hundred more uh, albums, we've got at number 307, A Hard Day's Night. And 331 is Help. And then we round it out at 392 with Let It Be. Um, curiously on, uh, the original list in 2003 at number 420 was with the Beatles, which my understanding is essentially, uh, this same album, meet the Beatles. Um, so had we been doing this project back in 2003, we'd essentially be getting to review the same album twice. Um, and who knows, I guess we've, we've joked a couple of times that it, when we make it to the end of 500, we'll go and tackle the ones from the original list that got bumped off. So maybe someday a long way in the future, we'll, we'll revisit with the Beatles and we'll see if our review holds up. Um, Ron, maybe you'd come back and be our guest on that episode in 10 years or so. Does that sound like a plan? <laughs> well, let's hope that I can. And <laughs> let's hope that I remember anything. <laughs> you know, all through the time 
that the Beatles were around. You know, I love them so much. And it's nice to see them still being looked at and having three albums in the top 500 of all time. It just kind of, I mean, they were something special. And it's nice to know that 56 years later, the world still sees that. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Well said. Well said. I went to see Paul McCartney um, in around 2000, and um, he was saying something from the stage about when he was in the Beatles. And there was a moment where there was a little bit of silence, and I wanted to yell out, but I didn't. I wanted to yell out, you changed the world. <laughs> because they really did. Wow. Did he wave to you again and say, hey, I remember you from that night when I waved to you? <laughs> no, it's a, little, it's a little different now. It's a little different. I've seen him a couple times, and it, it's not the same. It's not the same magic. No, no, no. It's the, What's that word about when you put everything together, it's greater than the sum, uh, the sum of it. The whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah. But this has been really fun, guys. I mean, this was uh, really, I love talking about this, as you maybe could tell. <laughs> and I'm really happy that you asked me to do it. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Ron. It's been a pleasure for us, too. Uh, you know, sometimes we wonder if we were born in the wrong era. And um, we definitely have some envy for the stories that you've got and the experiences that you've had. Um, it's a real gift for us. And I think every time we have a guest on, it helps us appreciate the albums even more. And and you've done that again tonight. So thank you for, for accepting that invitation and, and joining us here this evening. Okay. Thank you very much. Um, what do we got coming up next on the show, Mike? Yeah. And I wanted to say again, thanks Ron so much for joining us. It was great to have you. And we want to thank all of you at home for listening. And we hope you'll join us next week as we tackle album number 54, which is a Ray Charles compilation titled The Birth of Soul. Uh, we hope you're all taking care of yourselves. Ben, have a good night. Ron, great to talk to you. And we'll talk to you next time on the Sound Logic Podcast. Thanks so much. If you like what you hear, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and write a review. Send us a message at our Facebook page, on Instagram, or through our Sound Logic Podcast Twitter feed. Thanks for listening. <laughs>